Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, uh, you might like to turn to, to Proverbs chapter 3. I have this odd sort of motif that tends to occur when I'm preparing messages, um, whereby I'll uh, generally I'll, I'll do, go through all the relevant reading that I need to do, and I'll plan out sort of what I think my main points are going to be, uh, and subsequently I'll start writing to each of those main points. Uh, and oftentimes I find that uh, I'm, I'm writing through the first point and I think, man, this is starting to get uh, somewhat lengthy in proportion to the amount of time that I, I plan to preach for. Uh, you know, maybe this will just be a, a one-point one sermon. Um, usually, as if you're paying attention, it doesn't occur that way. Um, but this evening, uh, we have a, a one-point sermon. So uh, if you don't get the takeaway point, then come and see me afterwards and I'll tell you again. Um, I want to read, uh, before we get into it, uh, all of the, the verses that I sent out in the, the group chat earlier. They're not particularly many, uh, and I think hopefully that they'll uh, fill in a little bit of the blanks. Uh, you know, we've got, as I say, this one-point sermon. Uh, hopefully that'll add a little bit of fat um, to the edges as well. Um, so, Proverbs 3, I mentioned a moment ago, uh, and these verses will be what we really focus our attention on. Uh, so, Proverbs 3... Verses 3 and 4 say this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Subsequently in chapter 11, uh, verse 17. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. In chapter 19, that's twice now I've skipped to the right page, uh, which is exciting for me. Uh, Proverbs 19 verse 22 says, What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Perhaps on the same page, Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find, beckoning us to uh, walk the walk of faithfulness, not simply to talk a good game. Uh, and chapter 20, verse 28 says, steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. So you can flick back to the start if you like, Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4 is where we'll spend uh, the majority of our time. Uh, the, the Hebrew word translated as steadfast love is the word chesed. Um, possibly I'm not pronouncing that exactly correctly, but chesed I think is a reasonable, reasonable attempt at it. Uh, and it's often translated into English as indeed steadfast love, as it appears in the majority of those verses. Uh, kind or kindness, mercy you'll also see it as. Uh, it's most frequently used in the Psalms, which uh, far exceeds uh, where it is used anywhere else. Within the Psalms, it's used some 129 times. Uh, second place is, of all books, Second Samuel, which uses it just 12 times. And then tied for third place is Genesis and Proverbs, who use it 11 times apiece. Uh, chesed is often used of God 
though is one of his characteristics that we would call his communicable attributes. It's one of those things which, of course, finds its origin in God, and yet his creation, or specifically people, uh, are able to a greater or lesser degree reflect that characteristic. It's one of his communicable attributes. This is in distinction to, say, God's eternity, uh, which is not communicable. There is no way that you and I uh, can reflect eternity uh, because we are not eternal. We are finite. We are created at a certain point. Uh, though we existed in the mind of God for all eternity, uh, we existed as concept and became uh, a physical reality, as it were. Uh, so chesed, or God's steadfast love and his faithfulness, are communicable attributes of God, those which find their origin and perfection in him, and yet we as his creation are called to reflect these characteristics. And so while it is often used of God and is ultimately a characteristic of him, uh, we see it also advocated and used of man. Uh, to use uh, two examples from the same book, uh, we see uh, Chesed, or the steadfast love of God, advocated for man in Micah 6, 8, a verse which you'll, most of you will be familiar with. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does Yahweh, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, which is that word, and to walk humbly with your God. We are uh, told to be kind, to express kindness, steadfast love, mercy, etc., and in the same book, just a chapter over in Micah 17 verse, sorry, 7 verse 18, uh, it's shown as a characteristic of God. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Same word. Uh, and as a, a fun fact, just for you guys playing along at home, uh, if you were in Phoenix, Arizona, and happened to see a PT cruiser with the number plate Chesed, then likely enough that would be Dr. James White or his wife uh, driving the same car. If it's not one of them, perhaps call 911. Uh, this word uh, Chesed uh, appears at least one time in each of the verses that I've read uh, and that I've shared in the group chat earlier this week. Um, so. Uh, by way of, again, hopefully just adding a little bit of fat to this one-point message, um, the, the three points which I had planned to address ending up as just one were make steadfast love and faithfulness part of your DNA. That's the point I will speak to. Uh, walk the walk of faithfulness with reference to chapter 20, verse 6. And thirdly, uh, governmental steadfast love and faithfulness. You might remember that uh, chapter 20, verse 28 speaks that if a, uh, if a, a ruler is steadfast and, and faithful, uh, then God will preserve that ruler. So I think it, uh, it behoves us to pray for those in governing authority over us, that they would be uh, steadfast, steadfastly loving, that they would be faithful in their governing, and hence that God would favor them. And of course, when our governmental rulers are, are favored, we too uh, are blessed. So the one point, make steadfast love and faithfulness part of your DNA, part of the very makeup of who you are. And just to read the two verses again and to refresh us. Proverbs 3, verses 3 to 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. 
write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. We're exhorted, as we just read in these verses, to write them, being steadfast love and faithfulness, on the tablets of our heart. The majority of time, uh, and probably it, it springs to mind straight away, but the majority of the time in Scripture where the word tablet is used, it is referring to the two tablets or the two tables of God's law, the Ten Commandments. Those tables referring to uh, how we ought to interact with God and how we ought to interact with our neighbor horizontally with human beings. And of course, Jesus summarizes the two tables by saying, that we are to love the Lord our God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You see that in Matthew 22. And so to write steadfast love and faithfulness upon our hearts, upon the tablets of our heart, uh, is not dissimilar uh, to God's law. It is uh, in line with Jesus' summary thereof. And I thought as I was contemplating this, this notion of uh, writing uh, steadfast love and faithfulness, writing God's law on the tablets of our heart, it really is uh, reminiscent of a, a new covenant view of God's law. Not necessarily convinced that that was Solomon's intention uh, in penning these verses, uh, but these verses hint at that new covenant whereby God's law is within us, written on our hearts, uh, as Jeremiah in his 31st chapter details. Uh, but what I, I do think that Solomon is emphasizing, uh, which is only fully realized within the new covenant, is that steadfast love and faithfulness are to be of great, great importance to us. And surely we could say this of uh, any of his characteristics which we are called to reflect, uh, but certainly we can say that of steadfast love and faithfulness. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So, excuse me, what does steadfast love and faithfulness look like? God shows, to cite a few biblical examples, God shows steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham when he providentially orchestrates the provision of Rebekah to be married to his son Isaac the son of promise in Genesis 24. And he subsequently shows steadfast love and faithfulness in blessing and multiplying Jacob such that he grows to become greatly multiplied in Genesis 32 uh, when he meets his brother Esau. And so Chesed, steadfast love, is seen in God's unshaking commitment to his promises, that being the takeaway from those two citations. Steadfast love is seen in God's unshaking commitment to his promises. David, in the 51st Psalm, petitions or asks God uh, to show him steadfast love after Nathan confronts him after his sin with Bathsheba, uh, where he commits uh, adultery and subsequently sends Bathsheba's husband uh, to the front lines, essentially to be murdered. And so God's steadfast love is seen uh, in granting that forgiveness to David. God's, God's hesed is seen in his mercy and forgiveness. So his commitment to his unshaking, his unshaking commitment to his promises, uh, and it is seen in his mercy and forgiveness. David, uh, knowing God well, to give another example, 
has a, this beautiful righteous expectancy, which I think we see uh, throughout the Psalms. You see that David has such a, a close and wonderful relationship with the Lord that he is often petitioning, he is often asking things of God uh, with a, a holy and righteous expectancy that God will answer him. He has this fantastic relationship with the Lord, which we, uh, not in a, an undue and presumptuous way, but with a, a holy expectancy, I think, that we ought to have, uh, especially as New Covenant believers who are, are welcomed into the very presence of the Lord. Uh, so David, knowing God well, has a righteous expectancy of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to act in protecting him or delivering him from Saul as he hides from, a cave, from Saul in a cave. In Psalm 57, verses 2 and 3, to illustrate that, say, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, sailor. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David uh, prays this. He petitions this to the Lord uh, whilst hiding in a cave uh, and seems to expect that the Lord will answer him. He doesn't just uh, throw words out to the sky or to the ceiling of the cave, perhaps. Uh, but he says this to the Lord, expecting that the Lord will answer him. And so God's steadfast love is shown in his zealousness for his people and in his protection of, of David and, by extension, in his protection of us. As you read Scripture, you will come across this notion of God's steadfast love and faithfulness with some frequency. And you might like to turn, well, we'll spend a decent bit of time now, to 1 John chapter 4. These parts of steadfast love that I've, I've just mentioned before, uh, though not all of them, uh, sorry, are uh, some, though not all, of the brush strokes that make up the portrait of what God's steadfast love and faithfulness are. Integrity to one's word, mercy and forgiveness, uh, as well as zealousness for people that are yours. And so related to this consideration, uh, we read in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So, of course, it makes sense that we would, uh, given that we are commanded to be like God, to imitate him, see Ephesians 5, among other places, uh, it makes sense that we would aim to be loving. God is love and we are commanded to be like him. Therefore, we Christians ought to make love or steadfast love and faithfulness a part of the core of who we are, a part of our very DNA. People ought to see a Christian and automatically go, that person is loving. Similar to uh, in the, the weeks that have just gone by, people ought to see Christians and see one who is self-controlled. Thinking of all the fruits of the Spirit, we ought to be uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, these, I remember seeing uh, Francis Chan, I think it was, uh, talk about these characteristics. And he said, if you, if you had to put your name before each of those, how do you go? Tobias is loving. Tobias is joyful. 
Tobias is peaceful, etc., etc. Uh, how do you go if you mark yourself up against that list? And let me be uh, very, very clear in saying uh, that I'm certainly not preaching that unless we meet those criteria, we are not saved. They are not some list of things that we must do in order to have salvation. Yet nonetheless, they ought to be characteristics uh, which expose themselves in us and which are readily seen in us. And so John, uh, in this first epistle, says the one who loves evidences the fact that he is a Christian. But the one who doesn't love evidences that he is not a Christian and therefore is of the devil. And so to exhort you to make love a part of your DNA if you are a Christian uh, will in some ways, and let me explain this, but will in some ways be redundant. Uh, it ought not need to be said in some ways. Because John says if you are a Christian, you will love. It will happen naturally. Uh, and in complementary fashion, as I sort of mentioned before, uh, Paul lists love and faithfulness for that matter as the one, two of the fruits of the Spirit, things that ought to uh, naturally, quote-unquote, uh, come out of us, be displayed within us. Uh, but it is one of those things where to exhort you to love, to exhort me to love, uh, is sort of both redundant and very, very needful at the same time. Uh, consider further from 1 John. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And I extrapolated from that just now uh, that the one who loves evidences the fact he is a Christian. And the one who doesn't love evidences that he is not a Christian uh, and is of the devil. Let us take from that foundation uh, a step further and say that when we behave in loving ways and are motivated by loving motivations, such behavior, such motivation is from God. And the opposite is true. When we behave in unloving ways and have unloving motivations, such behavior is from the enemy, is from the devil. And so again, to ask the, uh, the introspective question, how are you going with that? How have you gone uh, this week just gone with that? How have you gone this afternoon with that? Have your behaviors and motivations proven themselves to be of God, to be loving and full of faithfulness, or of the devil, to be unloving without faithfulness? And in sober and honest contemplation of the same, uh, we can see why it is both, uh, why it is very needful to be exhorted to have steadfast love and faithfulness, though they are characteristics which are yours in Christ and ought to be seen in your life uh, more and more in a somewhat natural fashion. And I know I've said this before, but I, I hasten to say uh, that I, I throw out such challenges not, not coveting the opportunity to have some sort of a spiritual baton to whack you over the head with. Uh, I hope that your behavior is very loving, is very faithful, uh, and all of the other of, of God's communicable attributes. I hope that those things are readily seen in you. Yet nonetheless, it is good to be challenged to see where we fall short of the mark, 
that we might be sanctified and that we might be more like God. I love what uh, I think it was Tom said this morning about uh, to, uh, and I'm remembering in part because I was up the back with Esme, uh, but as I, I recall, uh, it was to the end of, uh, it, isn't, it is actually a bad thing to cover over sin and to, to not deal with it rather for the, uh, the sake of not wanting it exposed in the greater body of Christ. In fact, it is better to confront that thing, to uh, be appropriately public about it, uh, such that true sanctification might occur and God might be glorified uh, in his dealing with that sin, with that characteristic. Uh, so to conclude, let us take our unloving behaviors and motivations along with all sin to God in repentance, pleading with him for forgiveness and to produce within us the fruits of steadfast love and faithfulness uh, with which he is certainly able to do. Let us, Christ Church Tugranong and, and Christians more broadly as we interact with them, let us exhort one another to steadfast love and faithfulness. Again, it ought to be somewhat natural within us and yet also it is very needful for us to exhort one another in these ways. And lastly, may we rejoice and give praise and glory to God for where we see steadfast love and faithfulness in our own lives, where it was not previously present. For we ought to uh, give God appropriate glory for that, knowing that it is he who does that work in us. Uh, to be uh, unduly uh, walking around with our, our head towards the ground sulking uh, does not actually help the cause of sanctification. Rather, to recognize where that has occurred and to give glory to God is the better path.